you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the success report. The success report. guests today are Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. They're the hosts of The Sixth Sense Report, a fantastic podcast that you all should check out. In this episode, we discuss lockdown, the purpose of the government, what are laws, what are rights, the common good. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please welcome Joel and Darnell to the Kazingram Dialogue. gentlemen thank you good to be here hey so we have the co-hosts of the sixth sense report joel nikoloff and darnell samuels it's the first time that both of them are here on together the podcast at the same time yes yeah yeah thanks for having us ij yeah thanks uh so what what are you what are you what are you guys thinking about the lockdown that's been that we've been in for the past three months, two two and a half months, three months. Well, that's not a deep question at all. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there's honestly so many aspects of that question that you could talk about. Hmm. Um, I mean, I think primarily I'm frustrated with public discourse. Um, because it's become, you know, team lockdown versus team slash team, whatever, liberals, you know, Democrats versus team conservative, team Democrat or Republicans as, as being anti-lockdown. And, and, you know, there's no actual discourse as to, is it effective? Is this good? Is it bad? You know, how do we even measure this? Um, and so it's just you know, it's just the standard bipartisan bickering in our public discourse over an issue that, you know, it doesn't need to be political. It doesn't need to be, you know, two sides of the spectrum. If the goal is, you know, actually for the, what's best for humanity or for cities or for whatever, you know, way you want to look at it. Mm. Mm. What about the, what about in Canada though? Because Canada is not as bipartisan as the United States. Sorry, sorry. Say that again, IJ. What about Canada? Because Canada, we have four parties. I mean, let's be honest, the Green Party and the NDP, they're not much, but they, you know, they still exist. They, it's not as bipartisan down, uh, down in the States compared to the States, right? Yeah, but we don't take our politics too seriously. And we tend to divide ourselves up into the same partisan teams as the Americans do. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's something that, you know, we, you know, we've all talked about um either you know, as a group or you know one to one on one and something that i you know i keep going back and forth on is that now we are in at the end of may so lockdown started march i think 15th or 18th or 17th maybe march 17th was when it started mm-hmm. and now that we're at the end of may we and you know canadians specifically you know we've gone through like seven six seven months of winter you know, staying indoors. 
Mm-hmm. It's becoming more and more difficult, I think, for people to stay indoors at this time. And so what I what I struggle with is whether you know staying safe and it should ultimately come down to uh, individual family um, limitations or the local government, the local municipal putting together their own sort of restriction for people within their community as opposed to you know Justin Trudeau doing his daily Justin Trudeau show every morning every afternoon what do you guys think I want you to go ahead guy uh Joel um yeah I think um I mean I would say from the beginning I thought that um there's way too much of a broad solution now granted you know, when March 17th happened, let's say our high level of ignorance of everything that was going on, you could argue out of precaution because of our ignorance, um, you know, a broad solution made sense. Um, but I would say that clearly, you know, let's use New York cause it's a crazy example. Um, you know, New York city, the solution in the, in the core should be totally different than rural New York. Now, obviously, there may be a concern about people transporting from one place to the other. Yes. But when you, you know, especially like look at flyover states, look at different places, the population density is so different that, you know, the number of people you come in contact is already drastically different. And so, you know, we're talking about completely unique or, or not unique, but completely different places and contexts having the exact same solution. Um, and I would argue that for most of the decisions that have been going on, it's one variable is the relevant factor, right? Like COVID deaths is the only thing we're concerned about. Um, now, I mean, obviously there was also hospital capacity, let's say, but I would argue is even number of deaths a relevant or, or the relevant uh, metric. And, and I mean, I can hash that out in a, in a little bit more, but um, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, give Darnell an opportunity to give his two cents on, on what's good. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Ija, what was the question again? What, what do you, in terms of being in May now, you know, a few months in, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, are you, are you, are you saying, okay, maybe it's time to open up the economy. Let's go back. Let's, let's, let's stop with this lockdown. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think, no, like you said before, um, you know, it was cold when we first got locked down and now that it's warmed up, I think a lot of people are just anxious to, you know, get back outside and, and be around people. Uh, cause I heard a lot of people using the term, you know, a lot of people saying they're, oh, they're going stir crazy. Um, a lot of concerns about people's mental health. And, and it's funny because like, even for me, when I, so when I, I went to England in March and so, um, it was supposed to be a two week trip. I was one weekend and then Trudeau calls everybody home. So now I'm scrambling to come home. So I come home and you know, I get to the airport and they still tell me, okay, you know, you're on quarantine for two weeks. And so I'm on quarantine for two weeks and then my job tells me, okay, don't come in for another two weeks. And then you know, things are getting spaced out. And so now I didn't leave the house for like 
four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. I just, you know, I'm just at home, you know, just doing pushups, not leaving the house. And yeah, eventually, yeah, you know, I, you know, I started, started playing with my mind and I was like, oh, wow, this is probably what a lot of people are going through. Um, but you know, it's just, you just got to roll with the punches and, and make the use of the best situation. Hmm. I, I think, you know, the stir craziness is also a factor of, you know, the statistics and, and, and way things are playing out, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that, that arguably were paternalistic from the government. Rather, you know, it's like, oh, we want to control behavior rather than inform you to make your own decisions. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That's why I use the term paternalistic because as a parent, you know, with your two-year-old, I'm not going to educate you on why you shouldn't climb the stairs. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be around you to protect you and control the behavior because you're not in a, and, and, and it's just this, I, I think um, there's always going to be idiots right? Like you get a group of a hundred people, three of them are going to be dumb. They're going to do something stupid. They're going to be, you know, just, you can't control, like that's always a factor. But I think so often there's this, well, we have to worry about the idiots. So we treat everybody like an idiot. Hmm. Sorry. So who's the, sorry, who's the idiot? Well, so, you know, use the, you, I'll use a, an extreme example of like, you know, let's say some, let's say this turned out to be like the black pet plague. Right. And so the concern being, hey, we don't know how severe this is. So rather than, you know, the, the three people who are like, well, I don't really care about the black plague. Like, it doesn't matter. And they put other people at risk. So worrying about those people who are just like, oh, this is a mass conspiracy. You know, it doesn't need, the virus doesn't even exist. They're just trying to control us. You know, so that's sort of a response. Mm. It's like, oh, because we're afraid of, of that small select group of people that are more than anything, putting themselves and, and their immediate people at risk. Um, you know, because of that, we were treated like idiots or, or yeah, well, were prevented from being idiots by locking us in. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and then, you know, so sorry to hijack the show, IJ, uh, but <laughs> so you know, you guys, this brings us to the issue of Liberty. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and how we view it because uh, as a historian, it, what I find fascinating about this is that we're living in history, mm -hmm. right? Like later on down the road, people are going to read about this moment in time and we're going to be those old guys saying, yeah, man, I remember back in 2020, man, that was a crazy time, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's going to be us. And one of the principles that, you know, you're learning from this moment in time, of course, is one, you know, using your time wisely, but also like, like really thinking through liberty and our freedom uh, and, and really wrestling with, okay, like, you know, the reach of the government and what we're allowed to do, because we talk about, um, from a Christian perspective, uh, civil, civil disobedience, right? So Christians will say, okay, well, you know, we got to obey the government because God created the government. And so we should, um, you know, try our best to obey it unless they do something against our, um, our religion. But, us exercising our liberty and freedom against what the government's telling us isn't civil disobedience. We're just exercising our rights, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at um, the charter, um, section two of the charter of rights, it says, everyone has the following fundamental freedoms. A, freedom of conscience and religion, 
freedom of B, freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression, including the freedom of the press and other media and communication, and C, freedom of peaceful assembly. So right there, you see that we're not practicing civil disobedience, where we're exercising constitutional rights. Right. So it, we start to debate the idea of protection of life versus protection of livelihood. I still have to go outside and make a living for my family. I don't have the luxury of um, sitting at home, stay at home, stay safe. I don't that's that's not that's not some people's reality. And I, that's what do you guys case, think on that? That's the case. That's the case with uh, if you're doing if you're a carpenter, if you're a plumber, if you're an electrician, if you're a construction worker. Any labor, right? Any sort of labor, you know, you can't stay, you can't do, you can't be a work from home plumber. I mean, you could if you have a YouTube channel, but you, can't a, you can't be a work from home, you know, electrician. And I think that, uh, you know, that Darnell, that's a, that's a very interesting point because something that I, I don't think that it is a, there's an infringement. I think there is, I think to an extent, yes, you, we have, civil liberties, but, you know, the government saying, hey, you should stay at home for the safety of everyone. Uh, and <clears throat> people abiding by that and taking that, I think there is a sense in which there's a the common good. I mean, I, you know, we, we live in a secular age, but there is, <laughs> it's that idea of the common good coming back in. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and, 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 you know, I'm going to throw an alley-oop to Joel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna throw him a lob pass. So, <laughs> but um, and push back into what you're saying, IJ. Um, that is that the is that the government's job to protect our lives, especially from ourselves to some extent, mm-hmm. right? And, but, and, but but again, it comes back to to deeper questions of what is the role of the government? Is the role of the government to keep us safe or or to protect us um, from ourselves? Well, and I think, you know, to some extent, that's why the, I think somewhere, I don't know if it was Canada or the US, I heard something about like essentially calling it a wartime emergency, right? For, for that sort of, because there, I think it was the US, it, there, there is different powers granted to the government if you're declaring war. And they, I, I think so, I heard something or saw something about, oh, we're declaring war on the virus, you know, and, and, and I think it's important to recognize that um, what, what are we talking about with regards to the risk, right? Because we're talking about, oh, uh, we're going to infringe on your liberties. And, and in Canada, I mean, we don't have the concept of inalienable rights. But in the U.S., you've seen a couple states basically just their Supreme Court have said, nope, the lockdown orders are illegal. Why? Because they violate the Constitution. They violate the concept of inalienable rights. Uh, whereas in uh, Canada, so yeah. sorry, sorry, Joel. Um, how would you define inalienable rights? So, I mean, it's a bit of a constitutional uh, paradigm or, or philosophy, where the way the Constitution in the U.S. is really written, it's acknowledging these rights pre-exist government, and the Constitution is limiting the government so that it doesn't violate those pre-existing rights. Not like in Canada, where the constitution's actually granting those rights. And they actually say that we can evaluate, you know, one right over another. And 
So, you know, and violating a religious freedom if it is the betterment for the common good. Mm-hmm. Right. So it is a right, just the same thing as, as a freedom. It's you, you have a freedom to act in this certain way and the government can't interfere. It's just like another, another way of putting it. It's um, to- I, I think in Canada, that's a fair way and, but in the U S and no is way. it like, you know, freedom as, as indeterminacy, you can do whatever, or, you know, does it refer to specific ends? Mm-hmm. Like our rights meant to secure human ends, like ends of human flourishing. Um, so the way that I've heard it described, again, speaking more about inalienable rights, it's it, they're negative rights. They're not positive rights. So right. they're not compelling. They're preventing or they're protecting to some extent. So my right to li- to to you know my person and my property, right? So the government can't violate my property, right? The, mm-hmm. But. I think there is a conception of responsibility that does go with that, right? So if it's my property, now I'm responsible when I let someone on my property, right? So if my property is excessively dangerous and I've brought you onto that property, I have an aspect of responsibility. So if I have like, you know, claymores or, or something, you know, protecting people from walking on my property, but now I've brought you on my property and you die, there's an aspect that I have a responsibility there. Right. Um, and sorry, and sorry, and I would also add just just a sidebar to what Joel was saying that like even like a practical scenario, if I've been on quarantine for two weeks and IJ, you've been on quarantine for two weeks, so both of us are good. Why can't me and you meet up? Why can't we to spar? Out? Right. Why can't me and you meet up to spar? Right. I, and that's a, that's something that I I have been thinking about. Um, is if you've been in quarantine for, you know, the whole time and you haven't been sick is it why why couldn't you still go out you know say i wanted to see amos and you guys let's say we've all been quarantined we say okay mm-hmm. guys, let's go let's go to my cottage and we'll go hang out there mm-hmm. I, I don't think there would be anything wrong in that but at the same time the thing is most people not most people there are people who just have not taken the precautions and in terms of rights this is where it gets tricky i think and this is where I would, I think I would agree with where Amos was trying to go with this is it seems that rights, there's a difference between, you know, your freedom and then freedom to do whatever you want to do. You know, Mm -hmm. in America, they have Mm -hmm. the sense of like, I'm free and I can do whatever the hell I want to do. And then I think the answer is property rights. And, and, and it's actually something that I've been thinking about and trying to tease out. But before I go there, what I, what I, I started to go there somewhere else and I don't want to leave it just yet, which was, what's the level of risk that we would deem that I can infringe on somebody's freedom. So I have to like lock down. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause if it turns out, which I mean, basically the stats are kind of showing outside of, you know, the, the super high risk, which even when you include the super high risk, we're talking about a death rate that's approximately double, maybe triple the flu at this point. I mean, the CDC's rate, when they said when they um, excluded asymptomatic, they got it down to 0.4%. And when, mean, with, with, the, uh, with the death rate, I, obviously there, are, there, are, there have been variables, but I w- I've seen that at least with Jan Barr, who's an who, Israeli uh, I forget what it, epi, not his own, I forget what he is. He's like a statistician. He has N, N coronavirus. That's his like organization. And they said after putting together all the available data, they got 
the death rate at 6.78. Oh, are you talking about case? Okay, yeah. so here's the here's the com, you know complexity of all of this, and I can I can hash a little bit more of that out too. So there's the case death rate, which I mean that what you're giving what you're saying you're so you're saying six point seven percent, six point eight percent. The the only number that that would pertain to is called the case death rate, which would be total case sorry total deaths divided by total confirmed cases. Do you know what the case death rate of the flu is? I don't know what the case death rate of the flu is. Ten percent. How's it? How's it? Ten percent. So we're talking about confirmed cases over deaths that are confirmed to be for the flu. So the problem, I mean, it's not when when this first started happening, that would be the best comparable, right? And so we had countries with three point five to six percent case death rate, and and because we don't have anything else, the flu is probably the best closest approximation. But what did they do? They didn't compare to the case death rate. They took the case death rate of Corona and compared it to the total death rate, which would be deaths divided by confirmed cases plus estimated cases. And that's the 0.1% rate. So when you look in the news, they're, to, they're comparing like 3.5 or 6%. This was early, early, early on. I mean, I got a, a, a report from Ben Swan. I can send it, share it to whoever wants to see it. But basically, they're comparing the 0.1% with the 3.5%. Right, right. But it, and see, this is uh, one of the issues on the flip side is that, you know, Joel is a numbers guy and he sees it. My mom is not. <laughs> so, so, you know, Vigil already talked about the problem now for, for the average person who sees the numbers um, and can be misled or doesn't even have an idea of the concept of, uh, you know, how population of numbers work. So you can already see the kind of confusion that um, that can happen with um, like information, right? Like people keep using the term, we're in an infodemic. And so you're kind of like, well, that sounds great, Joel, but then there's other numbers that says this and there's other numbers that says that, right? So then. Yeah, so that's where I was, what I was referring to about the 0.4 was the rate the CDC put out as the estimated. So they're gonna, they're trying to account for some of the studies recently that have shown the number of undocumented cases are between 20 to 85 times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no. And all, all I'm saying is that, you know, like, again, like dealing with my family members, I don't know about your family members, but all that stuff is relative. All they know is that people are dying and they're wearing masks in their car. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, it's, and, 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 and then you, you start to see, you know, fear really start to settle in. And that was one of the big things that, that I noticed when I came back to Canada was just fear in the air. How, how scared were people? People were scared to breathe the air outside of their home, step outside the door. You know, when you go outside, you go, yeah. and, and you breathe the air. People are scared to breathe the air. Like that's, that's crazy. Like that's paranoid, you know? Mm. So, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say like, yeah, there, there is sort of a, a crisis of information where mm -hmm. we really don't know. Well, most, most people don't really know what's going on. And there seems to be different numbers from every news site and it's very politically biased. Mm. Um, but I think that like, yeah, may, maybe just like because the lockdown is, is coming to an end, it might be beneficial for us. Like if, if the numbers were as bad as people are saying it is like, what, what is the government's role in that? Is it to secure 
you know, the goods of individuals, or is it to secure their, their freedoms and their livelihoods? Well, and I think the problem, and this is where I was trying to go with it, right? So I'm saying, okay, let using that 0.4 rate, that's like four times as risky as the flu. Yeah. But, but the question becomes, at what level of risk does the government have the ability or right or justification to violate my freedoms? But what freedom? But what, yeah, what is the purpose of government then? Because mm. Yeah, I, I think it's easy to, you know, for a lot of people in, in sort of modern political theory to fall back into like Hobbesian assumptions and just think, you know, the state, you know, the state of nature is for humans to be in a, a war with each other. And the role of the government is to sort of mitigate that conflict through social contracts and through you know, different forms of legislation. And, you know, uh, the government is to, you know, limit our freedom in certain ways so that it doesn't become conflict, but its ultimate goal is to make sure that we can still act freely and in competition with one another. Mm-hmm. And like, is, is that actually the purpose of government or, you know, is the purpose of government and law to, you know, to make flourishing societies, you know, societies which pursue, I don't know, justice, truth, beauty, uh, and you know, the things that make human life worthwhile. And, you well, know, well, well like, Amos, Amos, you, 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 well. you can't, you, Amos, you can't ask that question to Joel, man. Okay. No, I, I, <laughs> no you can. You yeah, can. Yeah. No, you no, can. I, really, I, I know really what Darnell's. Well, yeah. no, because, I mean, dude, like, you, like my, my philosophy is like, much I've, more. I've been hearing all week about how you're libertarian. <laughs> oh, libertarian doesn't <laughs> have a word on it. Okay. Like, like I, to be honest, I'm, 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 I'm a hardcore sort of. Let's minimize government and continue to try to minimize government to the point of, I, you know, I think that um, we we actually ignorantly don't question should government do this, right? Okay. So to your point is like. What's the role of government? I mean, the, the, you know, I think the answer for me and Darnell at least starts to go, okay, what's the Bible say? What's the biblical perspective of the role of government? Um, you know, the civil magistrate sort of concept, which, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on in any regard, but, you know, it's, it's essential, you know, for many people, it's like, okay, let me read Romans 13. And that's where it ends. Um, and, and for those that don't, no, for the listener wise, Romans 13 is a little bit uh, oversimplified. It's, you know, submitting to the government that's above wherever you are. Um, and, and I know Darnell, that's a little oversimplification, but the reason I wanted to put it that way is because I think so often we forget to look at first Kings eight, which basically gives you sort of a, you want instead of treating God as your ultimate authority and your government, here are the consequences for asking man to be your leader. And it's, we will, you know, the, take you to war. We're going to take your money, right? Because there's an aspect of um, you're submitting to control of man who's sinful. So, I mean, to the, the, the question of, you know, I, I would say what in today's society is a different question, right? So are you talking what's the theoretical versus what's the Canadian versus what's the U.S. context? Well, uh, well, I, well and, and this is where I would differ with Joel. Um, I would just simply say that with, with my idea of the role of government is that 
he the government is there to wield the sword okay. uh, wield the sword uh for our good right execute judgment and then after that when it comes to the politics of how Christians should approach it uh it's more of an open fist issue than a closed fist issue mm-hmm. but what do you mean by more of a close yeah. versus open sorry sorry i couldn't hear sorry say it again Nigel. okay let me fix this mic is this, so is this better yeah is this better for everyone? Yeah. Or is this better? No. Do that again? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This one's it's a little cleaner. It's a little cleaner. It's a little Okay. So mm-hmm. what do you mean by open fist and closed fist? Oh, right. So for example, there isn't um, a Christian political party per se. In Canada? Uh, no, no. Just in general. Like, you know, you know, there isn't any, any necessarily allegiance for Christians. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and just... In regards to, of course, being obedient to the government, uh, I would say paying your taxes. Joe would probably say, "Don't pay your taxes." No, I would say <laughs> that uh, paying your tax. Like I, I, I'm Romans thirteen. Wherever I live, what the government is. Okay, there's an aspect of of like I'm under that authority. Mm-hmm. Like, don't this, this I don't try to live with, outside of that authority. And this is the thing with libertarian that I'm I'm I don't really agree with is the understanding of freedom is so completely out of whack with mm. if you're a christian it's completely out of whack with christianity with the whole tradition with the whole tradition because christianity to be free okay so we'll let we're talking with romans roman paul saint paul says uh you are you're either a slave to sin or you're either a slave to christ you're a slave mm-hmm. right there's that sense of you're either following christ and in, in being uh living virtuously as um as christ has taught and his disciples, or you're a slave to your desires and your passions. Now, within a libertarian philosophical understanding, freedom is to do whatever the hell you want to do. It doesn't really no, it's matter. Not. Yes. No. Well, 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 that's a, well, that's a straw man. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, no, no. So I, I, I would say that if, if I can um, speak on behalf of Joel, uh, again, speak, like speak. It's, it's, not, it's not freedom to do anything crazy, right? Because you're not trying to harm anybody's property. Do you know you don't harm them or you don't harm anything or anybody's property. And so there's still guidelines and principles that libertarian, um, libertarian philosophy works within. But I think like in the context of dealing with Corona, like the, I felt like the heart of the issue was where libertarian ideas come up and everybody has to really start wrestling with it is like, yeah, how far can the government go? And that's a good question. That's what we're arguing about is like, what's the role of the government? And the person's freedom, the government protecting the person's freedom uh, to, to create for themselves, to make an income. Uh, so, look, I'm wearing a, a hat from one of my buddy's restaurants, Heartbreak, uh, the chef. Heartbreak Chef. Heartbreak Chef, shout out. Yeah, shout out to Heartbreak Chef, right? And so he just recently uh, opened a restaurant a month before Corona hit. Ooh, ooh. Wow. Right? And so wow. now, there, now it was a situation where now you know, the government's messing up his flow, right? And for him to be able to, you know, stay open and people to support his business, um, it's made it a lot more difficult, mm. Mm. right? Because some people, yeah, some people need the income. Like, you, we're not thinking about how the government is, yes, it's protecting people from dying physically, but it's killing people occupationally, vocationally. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's killing industry, right? So it's a trade-off for some people. They're like, look, man, I can't afford to sit at home and collect this minimum wage you guys are giving me. Mm-hmm. And that's a violation of that person's right to be able to make, you know, make for the, um, be able to provide for their family. Mm-hmm. Now, let me, let me clarify in terms of, in terms of freedom of libertarian. Now, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, there, I do understand you have more so negative rights. You can't harm someone, right? Mm-hmm. There are that sense. But in, in terms of pursuing what you think will help you, you can pursue whatever you want to pursue, mm-hmm. right? That is libertarian freedom. Because uh. libertarian freedom, I mean, philosophically, if you're talking philosophically, it's, to, it's the ability to do X and, not to, uh, and to do Y or to do Y. Mm-hmm. And so if so long as the X and the Y aren't, you know, me involving hurting either yeah. one well, of you so guys. In uh, libertarian thought, there's this principle of non-aggression principle that I wouldn't say it's 99% or I wouldn't say it's 100% accepted, but it's pretty widely accepted. And, and really, it's basically as long as I'm not aggressing against somebody else, there's nothing to restrict. There shouldn't be something to restrict my behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I mean, I would even say you know, to the, like, I would say morally, I even question the idea of legislating morality. And, and the reason I say that is because when I have the concept of property rights, mm-hmm. I can't harm anyone. I can't harm a property. If, if that occurs, let's just say a sort of common law tort law resolution. Now I know our whole court systems are screwed up. So obviously I'm not expecting that to be done in, uh, <laughs> you know, in the, the slow moving court systems that we have today. But the point being that um, as much as I have that freedom, there is still consequences for my behavior. Mm, mm. Yeah. Amos, you were going to say something, jump in. Well, yeah. So, well, I, I was just going to maybe expand on what IJ was trying to go on. Like, you know, yeah. when, we're, when we're talking about freedom, I think IJ wants to say that freedom involves a certain restraint, like it involves a certain amount of self mastery. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to be free to play jazz music on the piano, uh, you can't just go up there willy-nilly. It involves like practice, discipline, limiting your, your time to, you know, to pursuing this, this art. Um, and, uh, you know, all, all forms of freedom involve some kind of moral discipline. And I think you, you want to say that that sort of moral discipline needs to exist at the state level if we're to achieve like the goods that political communities ought to achieve, right? Yeah. And I think, um, for me, a lot of times the, the, I find the conversations around, let's just say actions of the state in general. Yeah. The, the pro arguments are generally around intention, but the counter arguments are about the ineffectiveness. And so the argument tends to be almost incompatible because you're not talking on the same page. Right. Right. Because if the intention of the regulation is great, but the effectiveness is the complete opposite, mm-hmm. though, like you can't even like you just end up arguing two things that are both true, but actually don't help resolve the issue. Sure. Yeah. And like, I, I'd be much more of an advocate for like local politics and maybe a bit more decentralized power. Like the modern administrative state is not ideal at all. <laughs> right. And, and yeah, and I, I agree with that as well. But again, because people are, because the government has, has a stronghold on the media, 
um, their media, main media outlets like CBC, um, CP24, and so forth. Uh, it's just everybody's just getting that one perspective. Yeah. And a lot of people are hanging off of that. And mm-hmm. now, uh, now, now for guys like us and other independent news media, uh, we know not to watch TV. We know um, elsewhere where to go to, 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 to seek our information. But then again, because people are so confused with the numbers and seeing it as relative, like, you know, it leaves room for conspiracy theories where people are jumping mm-hmm. in and being like, okay, well, well, um, Bill Gates is causing the virus. Bill Gates is causing it. And then, and then, you know, and then, and then people are taking their, um, <laughs> their, their economic assessment, um, from rappers. Yeah. Right. And so it's just one of those things where we're like, okay, well, you know, God, uh, the government is, is, is sending us back out into the world, not because, you know, things are getting better, but because, uh, but because we're running out of money says Tory Lanes, Right. Mm-hmm. So, it, so now people are like, oh yeah, you know, yo, know, Tory's yo, it's pretty deep, yo, he might be right, right? <laughs> no. So now people are like, okay, well, you know, they jump onto the Tory Lane's train of, you know, COVID assessment. If Bill Gates was really that good, you would expect that everyone would be having Zoom. You remember the Zoom um, music player? Oh, uh, Zoom, Microsoft, Zoom, <laughs> Zoom, Zoom. Not yeah, Zoom, yeah, sorry, Zoom. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Zoom, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone would be using that if you was that. I mean, it, it, the conspiracy theories. I think there's the thing with conspiracy theories is that it it is it is insane. It is just as insane to dismiss all conspiracy theories mm-hmm. as it is to accept all conspiracy theories. You know, from if anything, the past few years has shown is that uh, a ring of pedophiles, very strong pedophiles within the Hollywood and within you know more elite social elites. That was a conspiracy theory up until, you know, things started coming out with the man who never uh, killed himself, uh, Jeffrey <laughs> Epstein. Um, you know, that was that was all a conspiracy up until that point. And so, you know, it, it to an extent, I'm not saying that people should believe in conspiracy theories because I think most of these conspiracy theories are just like are are are, are whack and out of tune. But mm-hmm. it would be just as insane to dismiss all conspiracy theories as just idiotic and not give it a day, a, a, a chance. Yeah. Well, I think they point to a deeper problem as well. Like, God, uh, you know, a lot of news companies are more interested in selling products than actually mm. getting at the truth and, mm. um, yes. you know, making compromise with people. I think, yeah, I think, I think your point is, is really well taken because it creates the distrust in the public narrative. And so now I'm looking for an alternative, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, it's like the example I gave you where it's like, okay, we're comparing, you know, a case death rate with an an orange, you know, you're comparing apples and orange. And as soon as you see it, you're like, well, I can't trust you. Hmm. And so, you know, because we don't have, let's say, the historical view of journalism where it was, let's present the facts, let's just find the, di- the data, the information, and give it to the public. We don't have any sort of independent, objective news that we can rely on, that we can go to and, and know that they're not, you know, giving their perspective. And yeah, 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 they do. They can go to the Sixth Sense Report, sixthsenseReport.com. And, <laughs> and, you know, the Sixth Sense Mixed Change. Six Sense has a very great, uh, an excellent introduction with uh, Denzel Washington, I, I believe. He says, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, 
I forget what the saying is. If you don't read the news, you aren't informed. If you read the news, you're misinformed. misinformed yeah. And there's so much truth. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Yeah. It's, but here's the thing, though. In terms of lockdown, now we're just going, going back to lockdown. There's a, there's a false dichotomy between mm-hmm. thinking that the lockdown is costing our economy and so we should open it up. But when in reality, it seems to be that had we left the economy open, because we still don't know how the coronavirus works, right? We know that it attacks the lungs and in, when, when it's in your lungs, your uh, antibodies can't enter your lungs. So we don't really know how it works, but it seems that if we didn't have the lock to, lockdown, the effect might have been worse. And historically, within human societies, very strong, short lockdowns have helped prevent major long-term disasters. How, what is your, like when you say that, um, the, the difficulty that I see is um, the only thing that I've understood that lockdown could potentially do is keep it within the community, right? So lockdown with regards to travel, if that's what you're referring to, I would say, okay, I know what you're talking about. But beyond that, we haven't even like, we haven't even had the information to do lockdown. Like we haven't had the information to like to communicate at this, this speed across the world. And so I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure where you've seen the experience of lockdowns. Well, okay. Well, actually I want to um, ask Amos, what's your perspective on that? On, on, on the, um, on just the lockdown in general, were, were you, are, were you for, um, shutting down the economy or, or another approach? Yeah. Um, I was for it for the most part. Um, like I think that, well, I, I'd probably disagree with both you and Joel and think that you what? Know, <laughs> the, like the purpose of the government is to secure human goods. And, you know, there's some goods that are greater than economic goods, you know, life. And so at first I was like, yeah, you know, this is, this is a good thing. This is what, a civilized society ought to do. And, uh, you know, as, as things have dragged on, um, I, I think there's maybe less reason to be locked down now. Um, you know, cure research is a lot further ahead. Um, yeah, there's, there does seem to be a lot more, um, like asymptomatic cases and people who've had it and who've recovered and just haven't even known they've had it. Mm. So the, um, at the actual case rate and the actual death rate, it's very difficult to calculate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think maybe we should take, um, like we should take a more local government approach. So I, you know, I, I'm was sort of like based out of Kingston. Um, and like, so a lot of people were coming up from Toronto and people in Kingston were getting like really mad because, you know, there's hardly any cases in Kingston at all. And everyone's mm-hmm. worried that, well, people are traveling from Toronto. What are they doing? They're going to spread it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how you would make it so that people just stay put. Mm-hmm. You know, some people need to travel for their jobs. Sure. Right. Truckers delivering food. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I know that at the Ontario Quebec border in Ottawa, there was a police blockade for a while, right? AJ? Yeah. So sure. I wonder, you know, if, if the solution would be to monitor all travel outside its out of Toronto and see, you know, is this essential? Is this mm-hmm. delivering 
you know, food and goods and services to other parts of Ontario. Yeah. And I think moving forward, maybe we should just do when you much say, more local lockdowns. Okay, well, when you're talking about local lockdowns and a stronger local government, what do you what do you mean specifically? I mean, you know, why if if eighty percent of the cases are in the Toronto area hmm. of, of Ontario, why does you know Thunder Bay need to be locked down? Oh, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. Uh, I guess for me, what I would have liked to see was the option. I I would like to see an option for people to stay home and those to go to work, right? So they, you know, put everybody on notice. Look, we're 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 you know we're in a potential um, pandemic, and so you are exceptioned. You could tell your boss, like, look, man, I'm uh, I'm not trying to catch Corona. I'm not coming in. Yeah. And, you, and your boss won't penalize you. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Or, and then for those who are, there could be incentive for those who saying, okay, well, you know what? I want, I, I still need to work. I'm not, I'm not afraid of Corona. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of it. Like I'm good. So then let me go and, and make a living for myself. Uh, but part of the problem is, you know, the idea of risk aversion, Right. Yeah. Where people are um, looking at death and they're looking at liberty. And, and, and those are the two principles we're going to argue about for the rest of history, death and liberty. So because, you know, because death is a lot, you know, a more real thing to people. Liberty is just a theoretical idea to some people. There's like, ah, who knows what it is anyways. But death is real to people. It's closer to people. So people will be like, OK, if we're going to trade off one. Well, we're going to get rid of liberty and I'm going to hold on to um, my life. To my life. Mm-hmm. See, and that's why I kept bringing back to the question of like, what's the like appropriate level of risk, right? Like uh, that, that makes a lockdown even like, cause this is the thing that, you know, there's no sort of objective standard. There's no guidance. There's no sort of, I mean, protocol. There, there, there has been lockdowns in history before, right? There, there's yeah. in, in the medieval period, there was, um, I think the 16th century Florence was locked down for, two, was it Florence years, or Venice? Yeah. That was locked down for two years. Two years. I Yeah. And they, they used to perform church services in the town square and people would watch from their balcony. Yeah. But, but, what I, but I would say to Joel, in response to what Joel was saying, there's no objective standard for what it is. I think that, you know, all objectivity and truth goes out the window when fear kicks in. And so, you know, we see people doing some absurd, crazy things, you know, like buying up toilet paper, buying up hand sanitizer when this was first kicking off. Mm-hmm. And so with fear, people, yeah, they're not thinking clearly. And so part of it is what we see is um, statism, mm. where people are submitted to the state. The state is their God. So when the state says, you know, X. you're going to die or X, then people, you know, submit to that. And it's easy to control people with fear. It's easy to just tell people, okay, look, you're, you want to die? Okay. Well, no, of course you don't want to die. Okay. Well then, well then stay home. I think that is, that is the best way, you know, there are, there are, I think that if you're, if you study hypnosis, there are th- four things you can do is instill fear, make someone very relaxed. I forget what the other two are, but fear is one of them, right? Because mm-hmm. when you, when you get someone to be afraid, immediately after that, you can tell them whatever and they'll tend to. And now in Canada, we have 
we don't have such a strong like Joel, you know, Joel, and I know we, we Amos and I disagree with you guys on freedom, but in the United States, they have such a strong understanding of freedom that, and I, I, I truly love Americans. I'm my brother's American. You know, I truly love Americans just because of that their tenacity. Whereas here, you know, we're socialists. <laughs> we have. I mean, here's the example. Here's the best example. Our health minister, Dr. Tam, uh, Dr. Tam, she said, the first in the first month, masks don't do anything. Don't wear masks. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. She's no, stupid. Okay. So, and, you know, I, I've been wearing masks from the beginning. Um, and I was like, this is stupid. Like, you know, it seems kind of dumb that she would say this. And then a month and a half later, all of a sudden she changed her mind. And now everyone is wearing a mask because she said it. And that mm-hmm. goes to your point, your guys' point about statism. The government says X and people think, yeah, yeah, mask, totally stupid. Only idiots wear it. And then the next day, actually, guys, you should all wear masks. And now everyone wears masks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and what's, what's crazy, our, I was just going to say, what's crazy is you get the like, you know, the Twitter or Facebook saying whatever the, you know, if you have an opinion that disagrees with the CDC or the who, we're going to take you down. Meanwhile, like you could agree what they said before, but now you're like, you're disagreeing what they say now. Like, you know, they didn't agree with themselves, but you're going to censor me. Like that's, (laughs) but see, but see, but this is where this is IJ. This is like where critical thinking, you know, comes in and being able to actually think through these things. And I think me being a Christian has helped me to think through things. So when someone came to me and said, you know what? Jesus died and rose from the grave. I'm like, people don't, people don't die and rise from the grave. Like, like, come on, man. You can't just go around saying things like that. Like, you have to prove that. Mm. You have to prove that Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave. You can't just run around saying that and that there's going to be a God who's going to judge me at the end of my days. Yeah. Like, that's a bold statement. You can't say that unless you can prove it. Well, we know historically there's more, there's a lot of evidence that proves that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and, and we can logically think through that and that it actually did happen and it's actually possible. Mm. So when they say, okay, well, you know, Corona's going to do this to you. You don't really have to be a doctor to, to even to, to think through these things. Um, so I was telling a story on um, with our last interview about when I was going to England with my wife. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she was, she, you know, like two days before she was, she was like, uh, you know what, Darnell, let's not go. And this was just when things were ramping up. Right. And, and, and she was like, okay, let's not go. And so, you know, I said, okay, well, you know, I'm going, <laughs> I, you know, I told her, look, man, look, one, I paid for this Two, Um, I haven't seen my grandma. She has cancer. I, I got to see her and I got to, you know, sort out things before, you know, she passes. So I'm going. So, you know, she ended up, okay, fine. The point is she she was listening to a lot of, you know, family and friends, you know, saying, Hey, look, it's getting scary. So anyways, so we go on the flight. And so when you're on the plane, like it's like recycled air, right? So everybody has a mask on. Mm -hmm. Well, not everybody, but I have, (laughs) my wife has a mask on. I don't. And (laughs) so, and so, you know, she would take it off to drink you know, it gets hot and muggy under there. She, she didn't have one of those nice Fendi ones with the little, um, with the little uh, notch on the side where you can breathe through it. She didn't have any of the fancy ones. She just had the plain one and it gets wet. It gets musky in there. Um, she has to drink. Then she has to, you know, put it down to eat. 
And it was kind of like, you know, it just occurred to her. She's like, wait a minute. I could have just died right now. If Corona is in the air and I take my mask off to drink water, I can die. Right? Like, like the movie Final Destination. <laughs> like, like you're like one your wrong own, decision, one wrong decision, <laughs> one yeah. wrong decision. You know, you, you, you want to take a bite of your brownie and you're dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you know, she, she was just, she was just, she was just, she just gave up at that point. She just said, okay, you know what? This is ridiculous. I have to eat. I have to drink. At some point this has to come off. And maybe that might be God's divine appointed time for Corona to hit me then. And I'm dead. So it is what it is. I'm on vacation, Ow. right? I'm on vacation. I'm with my husband. I'm supposed to be having fun. I'm going to have fun. She got rid of the mask, didn't wear it. Um, you know, she's still alive today. She's fine. <laughs> but, but it was just a point for her to just think through. She's like, wait a minute. So if the mask is protecting me now, what happens if I take it off to drink water? Right. I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we just got to, we just got to think through these things. Right. Yeah. But specifically about the mask, the, the mask is, even if the mask is a terrible mask, if we're talking terrible mask, yeah, you know, it still decreases the infection rate by 30%, you know, that's, and, but, I, but that's the thing, but I'm not infected. No, I know. But I'm just saying in terms of actually going out, you know, it is possible. Maybe nobody had it on the plane, but in terms of going out and doing, seeing people that you, <clears throat> If I didn't know you guys, you know, and you're just walking around coughing, I'd be like, yo, I'm not going to walk next to these guys. I'm just going, on. I'm, I'm coughing right now. I mean, I, to be honest, I was looking at stuff today that basically was saying when you cough, the mask actually doesn't protect you. It's actually like, if anything, the only time it would protect is when you're not coughing because the projectile, like both, I think it's even the N95 and the cotton ones. I'm sorry, N95 might be the, the level above. Yeah. But, but basically, the most masks that people are wearing, if they cough in the mask, it corona's coming through because the size of the molecule is actually smaller than the threshold that the mask actually protects. But it decreases it, your chances of yeah. getting it by 30%, right? Yeah. And it you does times that. a good bit of it up. Well, and, but my point was like, if someone's beside you coughing, yeah, I'm gonna yeah it's not going to be. Yeah. Like, you know, so arguably, <laughs> six, if you're following the social distancing, yeah. You know, to, and, and again, the other stuff's about like CDC says that basically at this point, we don't think it stays on or it doesn't transmit on actual surfaces. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so my point is like more and more information is coming out that like, I, I mean, you say 30%. Okay, let's assume that's right. But I think there's a particular context where that's right. And, and actually, you know, the thing that I would say is how many people wear a mask and, and act really stupid? Yeah. No, right? no, like you're the right. Mask you're leads right. To, to, to like stupid behavior of like, oh, I'm going to touch my face more. Or yeah. I wear the same pair of gloves for five hours and somehow that's pretend like pretending like right. that actually worked because I touched my face the whole time while I was wearing the gloves. Right. Oh. But, 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 I, but I would say like, well, for the other aspect of it is I don't know if I uh, have a morbid mind, but like, like I'm, I'm not really a fear, afraid of death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't care, IJ, mm -hmm. about the damn mask. If I die today, it's a wrap. It's okay. Like, it's whatever to me. It's whatever. Of course, you know, use wisdom, move around. But I want to breathe my air. I'm not, I'm not wearing a mask. Like, if I die, I die. Yeah, but um, do you wear seatbelts? Yeah, yeah, I wear a seatbelt. But, right. but see, I would say, like, to that question, right, that's where I keep coming back to the risk per perspective because – 
if the risk of corona getting corona getting you know dying from mm-hmm. corona is is a relatively low risk like if we're getting to 0. 0.4 0.3% um the question becomes how much more risky is that than jumping in my car because mm-hmm. every time I get in my car, there's a risk I'm going to die or I'm going to kill someone else. And, right. and I actually think your car is probably the best comparison because so many people try to say like, oh, it's not the same as doing this because that's only like they talk about like drinking or smoking or things that are detrimental to your house, right? Health. And, and I've heard people try to make a comparison and they're kind of thrown at like, okay, that's not fair because you're just affecting yourself. Mm-hmm. But every time you step in the car, mm-hmm. you could kill someone. Right. Or, or even like, well, you know, even having kids, right. You know, and you know, your, your kid potentially something happening to your kids. So what, you don't want to have them. Like, like there's always, there was always something that could happen. But at the end of the day, my whole thing that I've been encouraging people to do is you'll live your life. I like to breathe fresh air. I don't like things over my mouth, so I'm not going to wear that. And my wife had to like correct me or rebuke me, I should say, because you know, I was kind of getting annoyed by all the masks and, and, and the gloves and the overhand sanitizing. Now, it, it reminds me of uh, Romans 14, like those who can eat meat and those Christians who can't eat meat, right? Or meat offered to idols. And so, you know, you have the stronger Christian and the weaker Christian um, kind of idea. So for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm cool. I, I can go into the store without a mask, and without gloves on and, and not flinch. I'm cool. But I shouldn't look down on people that wear masks and gloves and, and are afraid. I, I shouldn't do that um, as a Christian or even, you know, just as a principle for people. Right. But I mean, connecting to a point earlier in the conversation, like, you know, don't, don't we, with our freedoms, we have duties, right? So don't we have a duty to, you know, act for, public interest so you know if whoa public if, interest so if, i don't know about that bro you're talking to the wrong dude okay, okay. maybe you ask joe coming, ask coming, joe good, about coming that. good no like on it like yeah so, i mean like if, if the masks help protect people we have a duty to wear them and you know you just shouldn't well, scare people anyway nah, nah, honestly like i'm and this is just all corona stuff aside like yo man i'm a pretty selfish person like 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 i gotta come first bro like if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. And that's how my dad raised me. My dad always taught me like, look, man, don't do anything you don't feel comfortable doing. I'm not, I'm not a libertarian. For me, I just, I just move the way I move. Like if I don't feel comfortable doing it, I'm not going to do it. I'm not that kind of person that gives into peer pressure. That's just not my style. Since a little kid, this isn't even something I learned at Tyndale. This is right. just something I've always been that kind of person. But it, like, is, is it peer pressure or is it conscientiousness? I, no, I just know it's darnellness. Okay. <laughs> what I want. Yeah, and and see, my my point is that like, you know, I think the common good argument, um, there's there's a place for that conversation, but I think the way it's being applied here is is almost a false presentation because okay. it's it's not like everything we do has risk. Yeah, and and so. We're not taught like if we were talking about like the black plague where or or you know use an example of like thirty percent of people who get this disease are going to die. We're talking about something totally different. Yeah, for sure. Right, and so that's why I keep coming back to the risk because like okay, if we had let's just you know for argument's sake restraint on government to if something has a, a death rate or or a concern of like five percent or higher, 
now a lockdown becomes appropriate, right? Or, but, but when something arguably is, I mean, right now we're approaching numbers that are relatively significant. I'm not going to deny that, but to be honest, I mean, there's a, at the same, you know, the, the Imperial college model that, that in my opinion was really the big catalyst for the shutdowns, Oxford, literally at the exact same time, uh, her name is the doctor or one of the doctors on it, uh, was Sinatra Gupta. Um, and it's the Oxford model that they put out. They basically had an alternative model that was saying we're reaching arguably the peak of the pandemic and the data is still supporting that model. Whereas the models that we used for the shutdown were we're basically revised over and over. We went from 500,000 are going to die in the UK with the lockdown to 50, then to 20. And so my point is to say, you know, there's arguments or modeling out there that, that demonstrate the risk wasn't really very high, but we, we only went with the worst case scenario as the justification. And, and I think, I mean, IJ, you mentioned earlier about there's a false dichotomy. And I think the biggest false dichotomy that's going on right now is like lockdown or nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. Lockdown it's down or nothing. Right. Like there's a spectrum of responses. And, and I would argue what I've seen um, really goes to everything up to what I've been calling the draconian measures, meaning the lockdown. Um, and, and, you know, shutting down businesses, taking kids out of school. These are things that, that really we haven't done on a, on a grand scheme with any sort of experience or data. Um, there's, an, there's an article by um, the American Institute of Economic Research that basically said it's, it's called the 2006 Origins of the Lockdown Idea. It goes back to like George W. Bush basically read a, a book on uh, the, the Spanish flu and that kind of made him want to be concerned about this. Um, and, and the point is that like most of these very like lockdown, as I've called them draconian measures that I would argue are the, the new things we've been doing compared to the last hundred years. Those are things that um, are untested and, and we don't have experience to know how effective they are. And so this, to me, the question becomes, what is the, and this is the economic mind, um, and I'd love to get into a little bit more of like economic theory and philosophy stuff with you guys before we, we step out of here. But um, I think the question becomes that, and I don't know that it's easy to answer this question, but what is the marginal impact mm. of those lockdown measures? Because, you know, we can compare what North America would normally do, which is we don't really get to the mask level. But if you look at the Asian countries, they, they go to the masks real quick right? When something like this is happening. That's why you look at Japan, they never locked down at all, right? Like Japan is like this crazy anomaly where they're an island. They have hundreds of thousands of, I think it's a hundred thousand cases, but they have 800 deaths, mm-hmm. right? And so there's, there's a lots of data out there. And right now we're not in a place to really come to the conclusion, but the question of what was the marginal impact or what was the marginal benefit of locking down with respect to, let's say, health, you know, and lives, but at what cost, mm-hmm. right? So if, and, and so this is where I think, what are the relevant metrics is a question that we're not having. And, and the best example of this is, you know, we can't, I, I don't think you can just simply look at deaths. And part of the reason is because 
we have what I think it's like 90% plus that are 60 and over. Mm-hmm. And, and for the most part, most of those have a life trajectory of like six to 24 months. And so we're preserving life of people who have a, a short lifespan to remaining. And, and that's not to diminish death. That's not at all. I'm not trying to say like, oh, we don't need to be concerned and we shouldn't, you know, death is tragic. And I, you know, anyone who suffered, a, you know, a death related to this, like it's tragic. And, and by no means am I trying to dismiss that as unimportant. But when you've got, you've got the UN putting out an article saying you're going to expect 200 to 300,000 kids in, the, uh, in, in third world countries going to die of starvation. And so if we were saving the lives of 200 to 300,000 people at the co- that are, you know, life trajectory of six to 24 months at the cost of children, even if it, you know, let's say it was one to one, but if it's half to one or, you know, 10 to one, even like, how do we make that evaluation? And, and to just purely use lives, I think is ignorant of so much nuance and, you know, depth to this conversation. I think I think it comes down to just so in terms of like in terms of measures for how to deal with the coronavirus there because there's so much variables you know in terms of what <clears throat> how so I mean I, I'm thinking okay let's let's take Sweden for example right Sweden barely did anything they're like yo it's okay and then you have the neighboring country Denmark Sweden's in fact sixty six thousand plus are infected right now Denmark is eleven thousand. Okay, and Sweden's cases keep going up. So is the right thing to do what Sweden has done, which we are looking at it, and we, we, it's, I think it's good to compare and right to compare Sweden with Denmark because they're very close proximally. Their connectedness with the outside world is very similar. So in terms of what are the ways in which we can deal with this, is it's not so much we, ha- we don't have – we don't have this mass experience of you know just um, universal lockdown that's happening, but it, it, it comes down to okay. We still don't know how the coronavirus works. Mm-hmm. Right? We still don't know. Yeah, we have a lot of ignorance, transmission, and and yeah, we things, still don't right? know. So is, isn't isn't it wise to do a do a hardcore lockdown? Let's just say lockdown ends this month. Okay. But let's just say there was a timeline from March to May. And we do a hardcore lockdown, get the infection rate down, then say, okay, we, we'll start opening up the economy, but these are the restrictions and these are the things that you should do when you open up this. So let's say wear a mask, you have what Taiwan did. And Taiwan put you know, hand sanitizers at all the major uh, businesses and schools. And they put those screens up for students and school, the kids were still going to school. So do something like that where we've seen countries doing this so we could still do the same thing. Um, and the other thing before I forget is Darnell's previous point about how, <laughs> how he said he's Darnelly selfish. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing though, I was thinking now- Darnellism. Darnellism. It's very, it seems very unchristian. It seems, it not, it's not even it seems, it, it is unchristianly of you to say that and to act that way, right? In what way? To act selfishly. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, how would you marry your Christian, strong Christian belief and this 
this, I, I suppose, a uh, principle that you function with. Mm -hmm. Right. So like I said before, if I was on quarantine for two weeks, right, and I'm about moving about and I don't have it, mm -hmm. you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Now, if I have it, then yeah, I got to have, my, I got to put my mask on, but I don't have it. You see what I'm saying? I don't have it. So, it's, you so, 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 so why are you telling me to put on a mask? Right? Because now if you're telling me to put on a mask because you're showing me the numbers, well, what if I disagree with the numbers? Hmm. Like out of conviction, like out of truth, like truth for truth. And out of conviction, I say, well, look, actually, I disagree with those numbers. Those numbers aren't this and that because you know, I talked to Joel and Joel said it was this. Right? So out of my conviction for what I see is truth, if me and you are disagreeing, then, then great, we can graciously disagree, but I'm not going to tell you to do what I'm doing. Mm. So don't, don't force me to do what you're doing, right? I, I want your rights protected too. You have a right to put sanitizer and, and a mask on. Don't take away my right to not wear one. Mm. But wouldn't, wouldn't you put, be putting your fellow citizens in danger? But if they're wearing a mask. I mean, they, they're wearing they're a mask and I've been on quarantine yeah, for two yeah. weeks. The only person who's at risk yeah. of dying is me. Like, I like, yo, thank you. And yo, thank you to the person who's trying to save my life. I appreciate it, but I'm cool. Well, and, and at the very beginning, I mentioned property rights. So I, I want I do want to come back to that because I think yeah. there's a fundamental part here that does play a role, but Amos, you were, you were going to say something. So, yeah, no, I was just going to like, would you be able to expand on your point about, um, Darnellism? No, no, no. Uh, Joel, you're, it sounded like you're doing like a cost benefit analysis, like, you know, the, the cost of protecting old people in the pandemic yeah. is, you know, is too high. And so we should just act differently. And, I, you know, I'm just curious, like, well, how, I, how that sort of relates to Christian charity as well, because don't we have a duty to protect the vulnerable? Well, but at what cost? Before you answer, yeah, before sure. you answer this, this, is, this is a second part to Amos's question. But this okay. is for you as well. Now, this cost-benefit analysis, is that more so a cultural thing? So we're talking, we're, we're all in North America. We're a very nuclear-oriented family. We, we go to Asia. Asia has a deep respect for the elderly, mm -hmm, Asian yeah. countries in general. So they take deep care of their elders. You, mm -hmm. know, you, you would never, ever have an old, I mean, I'm sure there are, but in India, I'm specifically thinking of India. There's no old age home. Okay. Mm. You're, you're, my, my mom's old. She's going to come live with me. Mm. My, you know, maybe I hate my mom, but she's still going to live with me. I'm going to provide for my mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here, it's totally different. So, I, so the question is, is this, is this concept that you're working with, does it also, does this cultural aspect also play, within, play a role? So, um, I mean, I think early on, um, Amos, I think you were referring to economics. The way you spoke about it was very like, oh, this is not an economic good and this is. And I would say fundamentally, that's a misunderstanding of economics because okay. to me, economics is everything. Like your time and how you choose to use your time is economics. Now, this is where I wanted to bring up philosophy because in, in the school of thought that I follow, there's a book called Human Action. It's the study of praxeology which is really the philosophy of human action. Right. And it's fun. Mises. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so 
in, in when I'm talking about making the, you know, economic cost benefit analysis, I'm thinking of health, wealth, lives, right? So there's, there's, for example, there's arguments or data out there that suggest that wearing a mask actually has negative consequences because you're preventing your immune system from being exposed to things. And so to wear a mask all of the time may have negative consequences. Right. Right. And so the point is that every action has uh, like from economics perspective, there's this concept of opportunity cost. Right. Hold on, hold on, Joel, but Joel, uh, but uh, actually, can you, can you expound Joel like on the elderly aspect? Cause I missed that. Um, what Amos was asking because um, I think I, I, I lost that point. So what was the argument with the um, elderly? Right. I, I was just trying, like, it sounded like Joel was saying like, well, you know, the cost to, to our economy and society is, is pretty great. And we need to sort of factor that in when we're protecting the lives of the elderly and Wait, no. sorry, I, sorry, Amos. Sorry, there's, there's an sorry. Yeah. No, no, sorry, guys, because like I think I, I'm, um, I'm not too sure on what policies were put in place to protect the elderly. Right. Oh, well, I, I'm trying to inquire about what Joel's asking, but you know, basically, so, like the lockdown part of that is to protect the elderly. Like I know my grandpa's in an old age home, and they've not let people in since like early March. Hmm. Uh, you know, no visits at all, um, and you know. Okay, well, 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 I guess what I'm, what I'm thinking in regards to like, you know, freedom and, you know, the elderly, like they're more susceptible to die from it. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, you should just, you definitely should tread carefully. So just like I said, like for me, who doesn't wear a mask and gloves, you know, I would like to go visit my grandma, but if she, if she doesn't want me to visit her, then I'm not going to visit her because I, I could put mm-hmm. her at risk. Mm-hmm. you see what i'm saying so so that that's where that when you said that i was just like oh okay wait a minute i didn't realize because most elderly you know most of the elderly aren't moving around mm-hmm. um sure. they're in their old folks home they're at home and so it's one of those aspects for those people who who interact with the elderly um they have to start taking precautions mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. and so i think right. to, to go to your question is you know, the reason I brought up the elderly being those are, are predominantly the high risk. Yeah. And so the lockdown is, is the measure. Now the question becomes how effective is the lockdown at protecting the high risk? Mm-hmm. Right. So I, yeah. I mean, I, I spoke about elderly, but the question of how effective or what is the marginal benefit is the economic kind of term of doing the lockdown and what is the marginal cost? of doing mm-hmm. the lockdown. And so my point was if the marginal cost is to save a hundred thousand elderly law lo- or sorry, marginal benefit is that we're going to save a hundred thousand elderly lives. Mm-hmm. But, but the cost of the lockdown is going to be a hundred thousand children. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like the, mm-hmm. the problem is in economics, there's this idea of opportunity cost, right? So the opportunity cost of locking down is the hundred children's lives. But the- this would be a false dichotomy, though, because even if you didn't lock down, the the people there would be potentially even more people who who would who would be affected and die from. Now, obviously, I know that no, but that's why I'm trying to compare the like the marginal on both sides, right? Like, what is the lo- the marginal impact of one action in terms of the benefit, and what is the marginal cost? 
right? So I, I'm, I'm actually trying to say, if you took into consider exact consideration exactly what you've said, right? How much, what was the net benefit of, of the action? And what was the net cost of just, and so that's why I use the term draconian measures. And really there's a, there's a spectrum of, of actions we could have taken. And when we get to the, the draconian lockdown stuff that arguably has the most uh, cost, mm-hmm. right? Because telling people to start working from home and making voluntary decisions to protect themselves obviously has a cost, mm-hmm. but those costs are much less significant than locking down. And so when we start to try to evaluate for the next pandemic or the next scenario, we have to find that um, balance between actions that reap a benefit and, and, and the cost must be less than the benefit you're receiving. And so I'm not talking purely in dollars and, 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 you know, we want to, the, Oh, we're losing this many trillions of dollars of wealth, but, this is why I was saying about from an economics perspective, it is, it is so much more uh, comprehensive of the economic cost would include everything from, you know, the spectrum of the, the people that are going to die because they have unemployment. And we know that unemployment causes a spike in suicides, right? So every single, like when you do the lockdown, you're going to increase unemployment, which we know is going to increase suicides. So that's a cost of doing the lockdown. And those are directly lives for lives. And unfortunately, what I'm frustrated with is there's, well, we just need to save COVID lives. And in economics, there's this concept or, or um, there's an essay, uh, I think it's by Bastiat, Frederick Bastiat. It's called The Seen and the Unseen. And it goes back to the opportunity cost concept. So many times the benefit or the actual action chosen has seen consequences. Mm. But the thing you chose, the alternative, the opportunity cost, right? So in terms of a simple example of opportunity cost that I like to tell people, it's like, I can choose to record this podcast or I can choose to go hang out with my wife, mm-hmm. right? Those, the opportunity cost of sitting here with you guys is time with my wife. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, at some point in my life, if I spent too many, too much time recording podcasts, the opportunity cost could be, I, you know, put my family and marriage in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's, you know, that's an economic decision. And so many people, when they hear of economics, they think of like finances and wealth. graphs mm-hmm. and yeah, graphs. Well, <laughs> we, we use graphs because no, I, Hey, no, no. Hey, no. I'm not taking a shot. I, I like know. graphs. Well, yeah. no, I think answer Amos's yeah, question. Yeah. I like yeah. graphs. I like graphs, graphs in a second because I think the graphs actually relate to the philosophy side of it, but answer, answer Amos's question, so, man. So, so the, the point I, I think um, that I'm really trying to make is that it's, I think we oversimplify and go, how many lives are we saving with no perception that there's a cost and we don't even fully comprehend what that cost is. Right. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I just wanted, like, um, when we're talking about, um, you know, what, what would have happened if we didn't lock down? That's sort of an unknown factor as well. Yeah. So we're mm-hmm. sort of left in the dark well, and we need to make moral I, decisions to the best of our knowledge. Well, and I think that's where things like Sweden, I think, get categorized incorrectly. Because um, a great example, like for, I I would say, if you took out um, 
the long-term care deaths, right? The deaths at long-term care facilities, because I would argue fundamentally those deaths shouldn't have happened if the lockdown actually worked. Okay. And my point is that the lockdown didn't work for the long-term care facilities because there was other problems that were unaddressed. Right. So, so the, the lockdown didn't make a difference for those people that died at long-term care facilities because of other systemic issues. So we almost have to pull that data out when we start to analyze because that problem is unrelated or we need to do in the future. If we address what caused it, the lockdown actually won't impact, won't, won't really relate to those numbers, right? Like a different decision is related to, to preventing all of those long-term care facility deaths. Um, and so my point is, you know, you look at Sweden and you go, hey, economically with regards to um, the, the uh, unemployment and, and the deaths that are related to unemployment, we know that they're in a much better position. Now, the other thing I think is really frustrating about Sweden is there's a false understanding of their, their, their objective. Calling their objective herd immunity Anyone who does that doesn't know what they were doing because the people that I've listened to said herd immunity is a byproduct of their uh, approach, not the approach. And so their approach is, um, I would argue, you know, prior to this 2006 article that I referenced earlier, their approach is very much the historical approach, which is we know the, the way that the virus works is it passes through the population. And as it passes through the population, we obtain herd immunity and the virus dies off. And their objective was to, while it's passing through, we want to allow it to pass through the healthy people, meaning the children, because basically we know the numbers are astronomically low with children and, and the rest of the population. If anything, anyone under 60 has a greater risk right now of dying from the flu. And now going to Sweden. Sorry to me. The last thing was just that as it passes through, you want to protect the high risk. Mm -hmm. And once it's passed through, now the high risk don't have to worry about the general population spreading it to them. So that's kind of the, the Sweden perspective or approach. And I mean, they still did measures up to the Jacronian, right? Like they limited people up to, you know, you couldn't have public gatherings over 50 people, right? So there's still measures that went into place, but we're told like Sweden did nothing. No, they just didn't go to the lockdown perspective. So, yeah. So in terms of Sweden, this is the thing. We're looking at Sweden. I mean, we're looking at Sweden and we're thinking, oh, yeah, the COVID functions as, you know, a normal virus, but it doesn't because it attacks the lungs and the, you, your lungs cannot produce, your, your antibodies just don't go to your lungs. So... What Sweden's doing, it just seems like a, it seems very irresponsible for them to do what they're doing right now. Well, but but based on what? Because like if you look at them as like a per capita number, they have now there's as you said, there's countries right beside them that have numbers that are worse, but you look at other countries or other places and the per capitas are in line. And so the problem, and this is where economics um, inherently has a, a dilemma because in economics, there's this principle of paribus, uh, basically all things remaining constant, right? So 
If the only thing I changed was the lockdown, what would Sweden have looked like? Would it have looked like Norway? We don't really know. We can try to guess. And, and this is where, you know, what I found really interesting, there were some stats about comparing numbers in, across states and trying to find a correlation between, you know, rates and, and death and, and different things, comparing lockdown with non-lockdown. And they basically finding it's just a scatter plot. Like there, there really isn't a correlation, which if you don't have a correlation, you can't have causation. And so there's no, there hasn't really been a correlation between lockdowns actually producing better results in, in, let's use the states as an example, where there's 50 different states and you've got a number of states that did lockdown, you got a number of states that didn't. And, you know, and, and, and those that let down the lockdowns earlier and whatnot, and you've got people, you know, shouting from the hilltops how people are just going to have mass graves because they didn't do lockdowns, mm -hmm. but none of that came true. And I mean, it did in New York. No, but New York did a lockdown. I'm saying the places that didn't oh, do a, sorry. a lockdown, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And, but even New York is an interesting one because, you know, they were saying, oh, we need 100,000 ventilators. Meanwhile, the ventilators they got, they didn't end up needing them. One, because we didn't really understand how to use a ventilator properly with COVID. That's a, you know, whole other sidebar of this. Mm -hmm. um, but they're now shipping those ventilators out. And so this is where, you know, I think the, the political... You know, you, got, you talk about more localized government and I'm like, see, this is where I would say the, the libertarian argument gets misrepresented because the, I think the proper term that more represents the way I would argue and most libertarians would argue is volunteerism. Volunteerism? Yes. That's how you would argue for libertarianism. You think that's... No, I'm saying that what, what most libertarians hold to yeah, as yeah. an ideology more represents what you would think of when I say voluntarism. So you were talking about rules earlier and laws. Yeah, but I agreed to them voluntarily. Now you talked about social contract and I don't necessarily want to go down that road because I'm not a big fan of that line of reasoning. Um, and I mean, it's, if you want to, we could, but um, the, the voluntarism idea of, you know, I move into a community and this community has a collect, you know, it's, I think the best example of what I'm trying to say with regards to a community has a collective sort of arrangement. If you want to live here, here are the rules. But because I can move elsewhere and choose the rules, you know, that as opposed to like, I don't have the ability to say, oh, I don't like the rules in Canada. Let me just move somewhere else. Like that, that's not really giving me the, the option to select the rules that I'm, you know, or voluntarily agree to the rules that I'm, uh, submitting myself to. And if I want to live in the middle of the woods, nobody bothers me. Nobody, you know, arguably if I'm self-sustaining, you know, other than our, you know, military protection, mm -hmm. what is the government providing me with? And, and so, but we don't have that sort of ability to voluntarily kind of organize you know, and that's where I think, you know, sort of that concept of localized government. Absolutely. Right. If, if, mm -hmm. you know, the five city or towns in Mississippi or the 10 towns in Mississauga all sort of had their own, you know, differences and variations as to, um, you know, what services and what different ways that we provide for each other. Um, you know, now you have a community, Oh, you need education. You live in the community that provides education. You know, it's not, I don't pay taxes to provide the guy in BC education. Like it's just the way we do things today is very much far removed. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I, I think that is a big problem. But, um, you know, when you're talking about volunteerism, like, you know, we're, we're born into communities. We don't choose to submit to those. And, you know, those things are good and they offer us restraints uh, where, you know, we grow up in these communities and the restraints teach us to, to become certain types of people. And, you know, I... Well, pri- I, but you're, you're not, you're, like, arguably, you're not... Like you're, when you say about growing up, like you're under your parents, you know, so I would be under my parents' voluntary community, right? Like arguably I could just turn up and leave and move or go to a different church and that becomes my community. So like, I mean, I would say, you know, from a biblical standard, there's uh there's some stuff about the, you know, prosperity gospel and, and preachers that are tickling your ears. The idea being that that alone is the judgment of the those people right they they want to hear that preacher who tickles their ears um and and so the idea though is that like i'm accountable for the leadership that i put myself under right? like if i'm listening to bad preaching i should know i got to get up and go sure and so that's where like i i don't know how that like when you say you know the community stuff that you're brought up under has values. I don't disagree, but I don't know how that addresses or, or counters what I'm saying about volunteerism. Well, I, I just don't think, you know, most, most of our, like, yeah, we're, we're thrown into the world. We don't agree to, and you know, the community, like we, there's a limited amount of things that we can choose from. Like we can't just, you know, it, our freedom to choose to associate with different communities isn't completely indeterminate. Uh, we have like, you know, say we have like three different choices we could make. You know, I could live in BC, I could live in Toronto, wherever. Like there's, there's a limited amount of, of um, communities with particular social narratives that I can choose from. And it's not just like completely free. And, you know, I'm informed with certain values and whatnot that determine my choices as well. So like, you know, if, if, if what you're saying by volunteerism, uh, is just like, you know, yeah, I'm, I make choices to associate with certain groups based on the values that I was instilled with growing up and, you know, what I was taught was good. Yeah, sure. Then that probably represents, you know, reality as it is. But like, if you're talking about like, I'm an autonomous individual and I choose to be a part of the community, um, you know, like social contract type stuff. I, I don't really believe that. I think like communities are natural things. Uh, you know, the state of nature isn't just made up of autonomous individuals. Mm. I think I would agree with Amos in that human beings are social creatures. There is no, mm-hmm. there's no possible way in which you can live as an island. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people do like you think about the, you know, the, the randos that live in the middle of the woods and, and yeah. hunt their meat by themselves. That's so, true. Uh, but those are right. exceptions to the case. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and so your point is, yeah, we're social beings mm-hmm. um, and, and all of us have that in different regard. But my point about volunteerism is that from a, from a, you know, moral perspective, the idea is if I'm not voluntarily agreeing to terms, then it's immoral. That's more of the libertarian position that I'm trying right. to say. And yeah, so I don't see why it wouldn't be like, you know, you being raised by parents is immoral. Well, I mean, so the idea I think you'd have to go to, like, when when do you as a person no longer have, like, do your parents no longer have responsibility for you? So, like, 
the the idea of property rights goes back to responsibility. Well, you know, yeah, we call it a social norm that, you know, a child isn't responsible for themselves. And so because you don't have responsibility, you also don't have property rights in the, in to some extent, like, so they're not choosing things voluntary, but as soon as they become responsible, now they make voluntary choices would, would kind of be the way that I would like, that's where I think the, the growing up argument doesn't fit because, you know, I would say, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> right. So there's some point where you become a teenager and that's sort of where you, you know, at that point you become an autonomous individual and you, you choose to become part of some sort of society. You, that's when you agree to the social contract. Well, I mean, the set of rules that govern the community. Well, the idea being if you like, so from a libertarian perspective is that by, if you're not able to voluntarily choose, then it's moral. It's immoral, right? If so not, if you're not able to voluntarily choose a, an option, it is immoral. And it's immoral. That, that, that situation is immoral. Yes. That, that would more represent, I think that like, again, I'm not trying to pretend like I'm like the best libertarian thought, but I think there's so much somewhat baggage with the word libertarian that sometimes there's an argument about like, okay, well, that's not what I mean. That's what, and so framing it as more around the idea of voluntarism, I think better encompasses what, what people who adhere to a libertarian perspective really are striving for and, and demonstrate that like, you know, for example, forcing me to pay for medical care that I'm never going to use because I kind of go my own way, arguably is immoral. Right? So I would say the only time I use our medical system is for heroic medicine. I don't use it for ambulatory at all because I think it's an epic failure and that could be a whole nother conversation. But you know, if I break my arm or something, of course that they're amazing at it, right? That heroic medicine category, mm -hmm. but, but I don't have the ability to say, well, how do I tailor my healthcare to meet my needs? Well, I can't because in Canada I'm socialized medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why are only your needs relevant to whether or not you should, what there should be healthcare in a society? Well, the question is, I think better phrased as who better than you can make decisions for you. I thought, yeah. Yeah, for social creatures, don't we make decisions together as communities? Um, well, so I mean, I, I'm 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 half stealing what uh, IJ posts on Facebook today, but I would I, I use the I same line, to. which is, um, I'm a socialist in my family, I'm a oh. liberal in my community, I'm a conservative in my city, I'm a libertarian in my province, and I'm an anarchist in my country, and and so we make social decisions for those that immediately impact each other. But I don't make a social decision for you. Cause I don't like, I don't know what's best for you. I can, if anything, I could make a decision for you that actually turns out to be a harm. Sure. But I mean, there's, you know, there's social level decisions that, that like communities make together, like to have healthcare, for example. Well, but, but think about healthcare policies over the years, like lobotomy, like it's sure. not a universal truth that, that those things actually work out. No. Well, on that note, gentlemen, oh, we, okay. we will be rounding it up. So okay. for the sixth sense, <laughs> where can people find both of you and the podcast? I know. Yeah. Uh, 
hit hit us. Yeah. So, so so we've been on hiatus because it's tax season and I'm an accountant in my day job. Um and so it's just a crazy time of the year for me. Um but we're we're about to come back with our season 4. Um and you can find it at sixcentsreport.com, six cents report on Facebook, on Twitter. Um you can find me on social media tjoeln 39 that's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, okay. Yeah, and uh you can find me Darnell Samuels on Facebook and then do good to Darnell on Instagram and Twitter. So that's D O G U D D A underscore Darnell. Okay. And is there a, a, a time for when your season four is going to be released? Uh, hopefully in the next, in the upcoming weeks. Um, upcoming weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause like, yeah, well, you know, once we start, we just go every week. Right. So there's an aspect yeah. of, you know, we don't want to be having one, one episode in the bank and then be, be stressing. Um, yeah. And, and plus, plus, you know, we're going into season four. And so there's a lot that Joel and I have to consider to, to, uh, you know, create the best product we can. So just putting some thought into it and making sure that once, because like, like once we get started, um, you know, it's like a 37, 40 episode season um, and it's nonstop. So we want to make sure that once we hit the ground running, we're comfortable with, um, with the way we have it set up, but yeah, yeah. So please, uh, to your listeners, check us out again. Um, great. You know, we cover events. Yeah. We just basically the six cents report, we cover events that uh, relate to Canadians and we break it down from a theological economic perspective. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for this. No, yeah. thank you. Thank you. IJ. No, thank, thank you. you Amos. You. Um, no, 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 no. It was, it was really good. Um, I thought, I thought everybody brought, um, some unique ph- philosophical perspective uh, to the table. So that, no, it was really good. And I, I hope the listeners like it. But you heard me? Does that make sense?